0: The Water Values Podcast, Session 73. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my son Joey said, I'm Dave McGinsey and thanks for joining me. Another great interview for you today. As with most of the recent interviews, today's topic is listener requested. Specifically, some listeners have wanted to know more about water and ag and water use in California. So today's interview kind of combines those topics. Uh, of course, I'll have more topics specifically on ag irrigation coming up uh, and some other uh, topics related to to what listeners have requested, so uh, the, the way you can let me know what topics you want to hear about are to either take the listener' survey on thewatervalues.com or email me at david at thewatervalues again i 'll try to get to as many listener requested uh, topics as you can as you can give me you know those always kind of rise to the top above uh, kind of what i 've mapped out. Um, so the other thing I'd like you to do, if you would, please, is rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast podcast directory on which you might listen. Thanks a bunch for that. Um, well, back to today's interview, which is with John Powell, Jr., the board president for the Coachella Valley Water District in California. He also farms in the Coachella Valley, and you're going to learn a lot about long-range water planning, management of water sources and water rights, aquifer recharge, water use, and new developments, rates, and much more. John was a fantastic guest, and I really appreciated him taking time to discuss these important issues with me for you. So with that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, John, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate you taking some time to chat with us today. Uh, To start, could you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Sure, sure.
1: Uh, My family's been farming in the Coachella Valley since 1950, and uh, Coachella Valley's in Southern California in the desert. And really the reason that we were able to start here in 1950 is that's when the water distribution system from the Colorado River uh, was uh, finalized. And so water was delivered to all the farms, and it was really a land of opportunity at that time. So my grandparents started the business, and then my parents were uh, running it, and then my brother and I took over about 12 years ago, and uh, so we run the business now, and uh, we're really happy to have this opportunity.
0: Terrific. Now, uh, in terms of uh, the Coachella Valley, you said it was located in Southern California in the desert, so where in relation to, like, Los Angeles is it?
1: About 100 miles east of Los Angeles, and we're uh, about 100 miles north of the U.S.-Mexico border.
0: Okay, and how, tell, what, what about the the population and the growth that has occurred in the Coachella Valley? You know, what have you seen over your lifetime uh, as as the Coachella Valley has developed?
1: Probably the biggest thing, you know, besides uh, when I was young, I think agriculture was the number one uh, industry in the valley, and tourism has eclipsed that. Uh, There's been quite a bit of growth in the tourist and hospitality industry, Uh, you know, Palm Springs and Indian Wells. Uh, Plus there is also a large second home community. So we have quite a few what we might call snowbirds who travel here in the winter and enjoy the warm weather.
0: Okay. And uh, what else do you do in the Valley? You mentioned the farming and... You're involved in other activities, so what other activities are you involved in 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 the Valley?
1: Well, mostly what's been taking my time, particularly with the drought issues, is that I'm an elected member of the Coachella Valley Water District Board of Directors, and so currently I'm serving as president of that board. And uh, Coachella Valley Water District is a pretty complex organization involved in a number of things, including domestic water uh sewer service recycling uh we also uh are sorry the stormwater agency for this area and it's a fairly large population you know almost a half a million people plus we are in charge of irrigation and drainage for the agricultural part of the valley so uh, it can be a pretty uh complicated and, and busy schedule being uh involved with that water district <laughs>
0: i bet um Uh, You also have some ties to Growing Coachella Valley, which is a a, kind of a new not-for-profit, right?
1: So Growing Coachella Valley was just started, and uh, we're really getting off the ground now. And uh, what we are, yeah, it's a nonprofit, and and we're a group of farmers who, uh, in the eastern Coachella Valley, which is where the agriculture is, uh, who have decided that we really have a great story to tell, and we want to get out there and tell our own story, because we're not really happy with how it's been told in the other media. So we figured, why not tell it directly? And so that's what we're doing, and we have uh, growingcoachellavalley.org as our website, and we're seeking members, mostly ag members, but also uh, others who are interested in in the local resources, including our, our rights to the Colorado River. So that would include golf courses and developers and other people that possibly are putting on music festivals and that sort of thing.
0: Sure. So what is that story? What what story are you trying to tell?
1: Oh, it's a great story. Uh, you know, we, the amazing thing is uh, you think about this as a man-made situation, but really the Colorado River flows all the way here to our valley 100% by gravity. In fact, it, it generates some electricity along the way. But we don't have to pump the water at all. Uh, we're a little bit below sea level. And uh, what happened was farmers were in the Coachella Valley right around the early 20th century and they were the only way that you could farm here of course it's arid so you have to have water and uh so they would put in wells and we have a tremendous underground aquifer it's absolutely enormous Uh, and it, it really grew there over um over millions of years uh our natural rate of recharge is not so great but there's a tremendous amount of water, I'd say 30 million acre-feet of water in the first 1,000 feet. And we know the aquifer is at least twice as deep as that. So uh, you could put in a well and farm. But what the farmers realized, you know, this is back in 1908, uh, that when they did that and they pumped the groundwater, the water level would drop. And so they thought, well, this is not a sustainable situation. And they were concerned about sustainability 100 years ago. I know it's a buzzword now, but it was a big deal then because they wanted to continue farming in the desert. And so they decided to form a, a, uh, a water district. This is the Coachella Valley Water District, which was officially formed in 1918. And in 1919, the water district sent their attorney back to Washington, D.C. Uh, to negotiate for rights on the Colorado River. And they did exactly that uh, with the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation and uh, got Colorado River rights. In addition to that, they uh, were able, with the help of the U.S. government, to construct uh, the Coachella branch of the All-American Canal. And this is a canal that was built, uh, it was It was finished, uh, it took quite a while because of the war, finished in the 1940s, along with a distribution system to, to get that water to every 40-acre uh, farm parcel in the valley. So, Uh, Here we have gravity-fed water, and like I said earlier, it's the land of opportunity because all of a sudden you have water to uh, all these farms that could only be farmed before with wells, which can be very expensive. So uh, what we've done really is manage our aquifer for a 100 years by saying, we know that we can't just keep taking water out. We need to bring in other water so that our aquifer can be sustainable. And so we've seen Uh, Boy, we're right around the early 1950s. You could see those well levels shooting back up because they were in decline, and uh, and they really have shot up, and they're uh, sustainable now. And we, although there is some overdraft in parts of the valley, certainly in the area where the farms are, the farms you've used very little groundwater now. uh, The the water levels are stable, so uh, I think it's a great story to tell.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've said a lot there, a lot of very interesting things. Um, first, I, I note that you, you said, you know, over 100 years ago, the, the farmers were uh, very intent on maintaining the sustainability of the, the use of the land and the use of the aquifer. And so I, I, I tend to think that you're absolutely right. Kind of the ag folks are the ones who really understand how that aspect Uh, works and understand the tie between, you know, pumping groundwater and, and, and recharging that groundwater. So that's one thing. The other thing I think uh, that was interesting is they went to DC, you know, essentially prior to when the, the, the Colorado river compact was negotiated. So they, they recognized early on, they needed to get water rights to allow for the sustainability, uh, Program they had to continue so you mentioned the Colorado River and those water rights uh, are used to help recharge the aquifer what about additional sources of water for the valley
1: right so well we were surrounded by mountains so the uh, aquifer really was from from runoff from the mountains but the annual amount of of runoff is not that great so we don't see a lot of natural recharge maybe maybe 60,000 acre-feet a year uh, which is relatively small compared to the amount of water demand in the area. So uh, the only way we could really survive is is to have imported water. So we have the Colorado River rights. We also have rights to the state water project, and that water first uh, came to the valley in, in 1973, and we spread that in, in these percolation ponds at the west end of the valley. If anyone's familiar with the Coachella Valley, it's where all the windmills are. Uh, over on the west end of the valley and since there's no direct connection to the state water project and that's water that comes from the uh, delta you know northern california and it's brought all the way to southern california but we don't have a direct connection to that so we have an exchange agreement with metropolitan water district from los angeles and they take our northern california water our state water project water and they and they give us an equal amount of colorado river water so even though it's it's physically Colorado River water, but the right is, a, is our state water project, right? And together with another water district in our area, we're the third largest uh, holder of rights on the state water project.
0: Wow. that's And is that a function of just holding those rights for so long because they are older water rights? or?
1: Well, we've been, you know, but with both supplies of imported water, we've been working diligently uh, all the time. So it's definitely good to get in early, but we've been uh, really working to enhance and protect those rights all the way along. And there've been a number of agreements and opportunities to expand those rights over the years, and we've taken advantage of those.
0: Sure. So th- that implies that you've done a lot of planning. Uh, what, what, all is entailed in that planning from an infrastructure basis from a water right acquisition basis what how does that mix fit together for Coachella Valley Water District
1: right well of course there's a lot more to it because you have to to manage your your demand as well so we have these imported water supplies but there the other uh, parts of that equation include Uh, recycling the wastewater in the valley and there's a tremendous amount of of water now that we recycle and reuse for irrigation particularly with golf courses Uh, and uh, of course the other big component is conservation so we've been able to reduce the amount of water use in the valley uh, by uh, existing users and so you know there are a number of ways to do that depending on what type of user it is one of them for for our domestic customers, is something called tiered rates, where we can charge a, a higher price for a, for a larger increment of water uh, to our customers, and it encourages uh, reduced use. In fact, when we implemented tiered rates, uh, first implemented them, we saw a 23% reduction in demand from our existing customers. So, you know, there's a lot of factors that have to go into this. Um, We built new spreading ponds in in the eastern Coachella Valley near the the city of La Quinta just a few years ago. So we're able to actually do more direct recharge of groundwater. Plus we're taking uh, our Colorado River water and delivering it to more people. We've been expanding our distribution system lately and we continue to do that. So that new farms that used to use wells are gonna be able to switch to Colorado River water and further protect that aquifer, and a lot of golf courses that traditionally have relied on wells are now being connected to our what we call our non-potable system, and that's uh, either Colorado River water or uh, reclaimed wastewater or a combination of the two. Wow,
0: well, that's 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 fascinating that you got all that going on. You've mentioned these spreading ponds to help uh, recharge the aquifer. What what all is entailed in a spreading pond? i mean, I'm not really terribly familiar with aquifer recharge through a spreading pond. So how does that work?
1: Well, for the West Valley, it was a fairly simple uh, operation where we just we had to acquire the land, but that was something that was done in the early 20th century, uh, really in anticipation of this. It was a long, long time before we were actually able to put water in. So you acquire the land, and then what we do is just build these retention ponds and and we you know, of course, they'd have to get the water to go into those ponds, uh, and we maintain the ponds. What was really and that's a fairly simple operation, uh, you know, removing salt and that sort of thing. But uh, what was difficult was on the eastern Coachella Valley where the aquifer is is confined, and there's a clay layer that uh, protects the aquifer, uh, which is great, but it also prevents you from percolating water in and. Uh, we didn't want to pump the water in because that could be very costly. So we searched and searched for a location where we could uh, percolate water into that aquifer and we found one. We found it sort of on the edge of the valley, uh, right at the foot of the mountain, uh, and uh, found that we could then, of course, we had to acquire the land there, build these retention ponds. We also had to pump the water to that location because it's a little bit up the hill. So uh, we had to build a pumping station. And uh, now we pump about 35,000 acre-feet a year to that site, and it, it uh, is doing a really good job of percolating into, the, into that uh, part of the aquifer. So, you know, it's not a simple uh, thing, but if you went out and looked at it today, it would look pretty peaceful, and it doesn't look like there's a lot going on, but there's a lot of water percolating into that aquifer.
0: Hmm. Uh, are, the, are these ponds covered uh, to to help cut down on the amount of water that evaporates?
1: No, okay. they are not. You know, I know there have been some experiments, particularly in Los Angeles, with those balls that they float uh, on top of their water to reduce evaporation. We haven't done that. Uh, it's certainly something that might be uh, viable in the future.
0: Well, you know, John, you've mentioned uh, development that has occurred and is occurring in the valley, and could you talk a little about you know what that looks like, how the how the utility is is preparing. Uh, for that development, you know what 's it doing and and just just you know how how that is that issue is being approached by the utility
1: well, we do have projections for growth uh, they were really done based on studies around the year two thousand and eight, and as you might recall, that was sort of the boom time, so our projections call for pretty high levels of growth we 're not seeing those high levels of growth, but what we have done is prepare for them so maybe we're over prepared now but uh, we have increasing uh, supplies of of imported water uh, particularly our Colorado River rights that are continuing to increase over time Uh, and uh, so that's one way that we're preparing we also of course uh, as I mentioned earlier using more recycled water and uh, more conservation Uh, What's interesting is when you look at new development, uh, particularly with our landscape ordinance, uh, new development does not use very much water. It's uh, far more water efficient than the type of development that we've seen in this valley uh, maybe 10 or 20 years ago. So um, it has a pretty low impact. Um, And what else is interesting uh, and part of our modeling for sustainability for the future is that if for instance if you have an existing use of water let's say that there's a farm uh, and uh, by the way farming is doing pretty well in the valley but let's say that there's a farm uh, that um, converts to some other use such as houses Uh, typically i mean what we used to say 20 years ago is they would both use the same amount of water uh, per acre Uh, now uh, with the more efficient standards for homes you're seeing about half that use. So if you convert an acre of land from existing agriculture to uh, houses, you're seeing about half of that water use. And the other half, of course, is freed up for some other use. Uh, Well, what's interesting, and the reason I mentioned this uh, earlier, is that farming is doing pretty well. So you're really not seeing much of that. Uh, Farmers are not Actively converting their farms to some other use, they're really interested in continuing to farm. So um, that may be one of the reasons we haven't seen quite as much uh, other type of growth in the valley.
0: Hmm. You know, that's that's very interesting. That the that the water efficiency of new developments is about half of what the existing ag use is. You, and you also mentioned your landscape ordinance. Could you tell us just a little about? You know, how does that landscape ordinance conserve water for for the valley?
1: Well, when we're uh, approving new projects, we're li- really looking for uh, the gallons per capita per day number. And I don't have the exact numbers, but those numbers, uh, those standards are much lower than what we used to see and uh, so particularly in the desert you know it doesn't allow for a lot of of landscape water use Uh, sort of the old style developments in the valley would you would have maybe 70 or 80 percent of all water use would occur outdoors and that's all landscaping and swimming pools with new development you're seeing a much much slower number outside and and that reduces the overall uh, water use of, of new projects so the per capita number is much much lower and we just require that, you know, there with, lately with the governor's new uh, drought ordinance, the state really mandated, and we were required to, to update our ordinance as well, mandated that uh, all new development have uh, just micro-irrigation or drip irrigation for the landscaping. And that's a big, big change uh, for this area. So that reduces water use. And so new development uses significantly less uh, water than than what the existing uh, homes would,
0: are using. Sure, and we've talked about the drought a little bit, and I'm, I'm sure that some of these things we've talked about are how the valley has coped with the drought. Are there other mechanisms or, or programs that you've implemented to deal with the drought?
1: Our area is maybe a little different than some other areas in, the, in California. I mean, there are literally are our, our towns in California that don't have water, and they have to truck water in. Uh, the drought is very serious, uh, as I'm sure you know, uh, in many parts of California. Uh, you know, because we're in a desert, we we look at it a little bit differently. And, and while we are committed to meeting the governor's mandate of a 36% uh, reduction in our domestic water use compared to 2013, we are doing it perhaps for a, for another reason. Uh, maybe this is a, an enhancement of why we're doing it. Is that under our water management plan? In order to meet future needs, there is an element of conservation. And so what's happening now, in order to meet the governor's mandate of reduced water use uh, compared to 2013, uh, we have implemented a number of conservation measures for our domestic water, and that has significantly reduced the amount of of water demand by our customers. Uh, It's a multifaceted sort of menu of things that we're doing. There are some restrictions, but mostly it comes down to uh, education and outreach. We're doing a number of seminars and mailers and uh, opportunities for people to learn how to use less water. Uh, Also incentives such as um, cash for removal of of grass and and replacing it with something that's desert friendly in your landscaping. Uh, Toilet uh, conversion rebates. Uh, irrigation smart controllers that can control your outdoor irrigation based on the weather. Uh, And then probably the most significant thing that that our agency is doing that I don't think anybody has done yet in California, but I think they will, is uh, adopt uh, drought penalties. So because we already had tiered rates in place, we have custom budgets for every customer based on the number of people in the home, and the size of the landscaped uh, area of that home, and uh, and the weather. So what we know what we can do is layer a drop penalty on top of those tiered rates, so that uh, if you're using more than the prescribed amount for your custom budget based on your landscaping, uh, you're going to pay a penalty. And so you know, rather than go out and send the water cops and the police out to tell you not to water on a certain day or, or whatever. We're, what we're saying is if you use more than the, the prescribed amount, you're going to have to pay extra for that. And we're actually looking at enhancing that a bit with possibly uh, adjusting those penalty amounts um, a little bit to get more movement from our, our – we have a maybe 20, 24% of our customers who don't seem to be moving or modifying their behavior at all during the drought, and they're just paying the penalties, and it's a significant amount of money. Uh, so we're looking at ways, perhaps, to modify that behavior, because really what we want is not to collect the money and the penalties. We want to see uh, reduced water use.
0: Sure. You know, the, the penalty concept is, is interesting. I've not, you know, you, you mentioned that you don't know that anyone, you know, any other utilities that have done that, and I, I certainly have not run across that. And, because the penalty you would you would only want to penalize people that are purposefully doing it right You're, what how do you deal with people who come in and say, "Look, you know, I had a leak this month, and that's why I used so much, and now that I know I've got this problem, I went and remedied it i mean are there are there ways to to help that kind of person out
1: well the, you know the beauty of our custom uh, budgets is that one it's not based on historic use, so somebody who' made an effort at conservation five years ago is not going to be punished now. But then you do have the inner inadvertent use, as you point out, is, is a leak. And we do have an administrative remedy for that. So uh, you know, we want to be as fair as possible to allow, um, or allow folks to succeed, really, is what we're after, and reduce their water use and, and not punish uh, inadvertent use or uh, not punish people who made conservation efforts a long time ago. So we've been very sensitive about that
0: yeah yeah um, well, what about some threats to the water supply we've We've talked about uh, the the diligence that the the water district has gone through to preserve and augment its uh, its water rights. What are some of the threats to your water supply beyond the, beyond the drought?
1: Well there's always you know when our rights are based on contract, of course we're interested in making sure those contracts are upheld. And if there is a challenge to a contract that we need it head on and, you know, we we defend our rights, uh, probably the most obvious one right now is a petition that's been made to the State Water Resources Control Board by the Imperial Irrigation District. And that's a a large irrigation district in Southern California, uh, mostly agricultural, uh, uses a, a tremendous amount of Colorado River water. And they are a party to the Quantification Settlement Agreement that was signed in 2003. There are a number of parties, including Metropolitan Water District and San Diego County Water Authority, Palo Verde Irrigation District, also the State of California and the the federal government, uh, and Coachella Valley Water District, which is us. So uh, we're all living under this agreement, and 10 years later, uh, IID petitions the State of California to put new conditions on water deliveries to the Coachella Valley Water District. Well, that doesn't sound right to us. Uh, We already uh, negotiated this agreement and everybody's living by the agreement. And so uh, any effort such as that to change the agreement now is something that we're going to fight. And we're doing that, uh, we don't anticipate that the state is going to want to upend such an important agreement uh, and, uh, so we'll do what we can to explain why this is important and, and we're doing that and we anticipate that the quantification settlement agreement will continue, uh, as it was signed, uh, 10 or uh, 12 years ago.
0: Sure. And I certainly don't want to ha- you know, have you talk a, a lot about ongoing litigation and, and giveaway strategy and things like that. I think you've, you've done a very good job. You've been, your attorney has um, has prepared you well to just make those types of statements. So I don't, I don't want to. I want to make sure that I'm not asking you to divulge any confidential information or strategic issues. Um, I'm also aware of the, you know, Native American Indian rights uh, to water, and are there any issues surrounding that 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 are of concern to you? Well,
1: as you might know, the Agua Caliente. Uh tribe has filed a lawsuit in federal court uh, against the Desert Water Agency and the Coachella Valley Water District. Uh, it's going to be a long, long uh, process. Uh, essentially, their priority rights to uh, the groundwater in the Coachella Valley. And our position, quite simply, is that water right belongs to everybody in the Coachella Valley, including the tribes. And uh, that. You know we're going to defend that uh, that position I just I, this litigation process is is a long 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 process in fact right now we know that the next opportunity to go uh, to court is going to be no sooner than uh, spring of 2017 That's almost two years from now so uh, like I said I it's going to be a long process we're going to do what we can to uh, protect the water in the Coachella Valley for everybody's use, uh, including the tribal use. And uh, we anticipate that we're not going to really have a resolution of this for a very long time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I completely understand the <laughs> the length of time it takes to litigate something. Uh, so one other uh, question I wanted to have uh, or, or talk with you about was the the California groundwater law that was passed you know, in the last couple legislative sessions, uh, and I think it has a 2020, you know, implementation date where the groundwater and surface water are going to be linked together. Does that impact the Coachella Valley Water District at all?
1: Well, that's SIGMA, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, and uh, it's a big deal for California. Uh, as far as the Coachella Valley Water District is concerned, and I'll have to say, you know, we're in many ways an ag district. Uh, We were not uh, opposing sigma the way other ag districts in California were, uh, particularly in Central California, where uh, with a lack of surface water, the farmers really had no choice but to turn to groundwater uh, to keep their businesses alive, to keep the farms irrigated. And uh, we have not had the same situation here. So we did not oppose this legislation in California. And honestly, what it asks is some, uh, many, most of everything that it asks us to do, we are already doing. So we're managing our groundwater here. And really, the difference for us now is just to make sure that uh, we fill out the proper forms and demonstrate what we're uh, doing. And it's really not just the Coachella Valley Water District, but valley wide. We, we've been managing our water. Here in the Coachella Valley for a long time, so it's consistent with what we've already been doing. It's just another layer, sort of an administrative layer on top of of the activities that are already in place.
0: Sure. Well, you know, John, you've been absolutely fantastic coming on and and walking us through how you know the, all the issues surrounding water in the Coachella Valley. Really appreciate your time. Uh, just uh, could you just wrap up and and kind of tell us where you think you're headed in the future for, uh, you know, water use in the Coachella Valley?
1: Well, we're blessed with so many, so many attributes, you know, we're unique, really. Anywhere in the world, I think, we're unique because we have uh, this tremendous aquifer, 30 million acre feet of water beneath our feet that's available to us. And it's easy to put a well in and use that water. But we also realized 100 years ago that we needed to be sustainable. So we negotiated for these imported water rights. And uh, I really think that you know we have the best of both worlds because we have a local supply and an imported supply. And we're able to manage, depending on the circumstance, uh, between those two supplies conjunctive use if you want to call it that where we uh, we have a tremendous amount of flexibility and that's good for the area because it, it's good for for farming I think farming has a bright future here uh, there's no reason to believe that won't continue for decades and generations to come uh, but also the economy is strong there's a lot of opportunity for growth here it's a it's a very attractive second home a winter uh, to, for snowbirds to live and the tourist economy is very strong we have a lot of international events in the valley and and so uh, I think we're in a great position uh, water I think maybe the lesson here is is if you manage your water wisely over a long period of time you know the, there can be a real reward and I think we're we're seeing that reward in the Coachella Valley
0: well said well said John well Again, thank you so much for your time today. And for those who want to find out more about you or Coachella Valley Water or, or Growing Coachella Valley, where can they go to find that information?
1: Well, we have GrowingCoachellaValley.org. Also, Coachella Valley Water District has an excellent website. It's CBWD.org. Uh, and uh, I'd say those two are good places to start and to see how we do things here in the Coachella Valley.
0: Terrific. Well, John, thanks again. Really appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank you. You betcha. Bye. Well, I hope you liked that interview with John Powell, very knowledgeable man and clearly a man who understands water issues. Uh, A couple of takeaways for you. The first is that the Coachella Valley has clearly done a good job managing its water rights. You know, I'm not a water rights lawyer, but I know a good water rights management when I see it. They got in early. They've steadily and strategically acquired water rights. They've worked exchange agreements with Metropolitan Water District, And they negotiated an obviously favorable term uh, for favorable terms under that quantification settlement agreement John spoke of. So for those wanting to study how to manage a portfolio of water rights, the Coachella Valley Water District seems as good a subject as any to study to, to understand how they did such a good job of managing those rights. Well, my second takeaway hits uh, a little closer to what I'm used to, and that's utility rates. And I found it interesting and even and even more interesting, as I've thought about it since the interview, that the Coachella Valley Water District is using a tiered system of rates, essentially an inclining block system, in addition to enacting penalties on water users uh, who are using more water than they should. And I think there are two sub-issues here. First, PUC regulation does not favor penalties, so in a regulated setting, I'm I'm not sure that the the penalty aspect of that would work. So, in that sense, utilities like Coachella Valley Water District have more flexibility to to design rates uh, that send, you know, that that are more reflective of price signals. Uh, Second, uh, as a result of the San Juan Capistrano litigation in California, and I've written a blog post. Uh, on this a while back when the litigation was still going on that you can find on on thewatervalues.com. Inclining block rates for government utilities are now tougher to enact in California. The courts essentially said that the rates of the governmentally owned utilities need to be cost-based, and that would be consistent with a PUC-regulated utility as well. Now, I'm not saying that inclining block rates cannot be cost-based, but you really need to support an inclining block rate design with strong Cost supportive evidence, and the Coachella Valley Water District has found ways to establish those rates and send price signals to large water users. And I think part of part of their cost support, and if and if you noticed, it's it's a probably a pretty subtle point in the interview. But John indicated that the amount of water used was based on the number of people in the home and the size of the landscaped area. Um, and so that's information that most utilities probably don't have, and most customers probably don't want to give up. Uh, so so the Coachella Valley Water District has been able to get very granular and to customize rates for individual user accounts. So that's a very unique aspect, and I think it's something that probably really helps them support that uh, that inclining block rate. Uh, but in any event, you can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod seventy three leave a comment on the show notes, or email me. Again, that that email address is david@thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993, and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag WaterValues. And please, as I indicated at the top, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast directory on which you listen. And please don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and sign up for that Water Values newsletter. And also, please go ahead and take that that listener survey and let me know what you want to hear about. All of this can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.